Hey beautiful soul, this is the Menopause Coach Podcast with me, your host, Adele Johnston. I'm helping you create a vibrant life of joy and happiness without your menopause stealing your personal power and sass. Together, we're making menopause mainstream. It drains my energy when I give too much physical attention to people. We kind of have a laugh about it because I'll say to them, you can get four cuddles a day and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) You've got a cuddle quota. (laughs) Four cuddles, use them wisely. Hey everyone, I am super excited today. I have an amazing, amazing, amazing guest with me called Claire Grigson. And Claire is a self-love and relationship coach. And I first met Claire this year, actually. Do you know when you just meet someone, you feel like you've known them forever? That has been how I've felt with my time spent in Claire's energy and space. So Claire being a self-love and relationship coach, she specializes in working with women to manage their anxious attachment style. And for me, this personally was, as soon as I got made aware of this, it just opened this whole new box of wow, absolute wow, like things I didn't know were even a thing. So I really wanted to bring Claire together today into this relationships pillar so that we can start to have a bit more awareness as individuals, because you might be watching this if you're watching with us or listening to this if you're on the podcast and wondering, well, what is a self-love and relationships coach and what do they do and what is relationship attachment style And all these weird and wonderful things that we then hear about. Super, super powerful. I can't wait to dive into this episode. And today, Claire and I are going to be going into discussions on attachment style, on love languages. This one blew my mind. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And communication style. And this is one that comes up time and time again when I'm talking with you guys in the community, but also my clients, when we work one-to-one, communication is something that comes up a lot. I'm going to jump straight in. I'm going to let Claire give you a little overview on this very first question on, Claire, what is a self-love and relationship coach? First of all, Adele, thank you so much for the beautiful introduction. Thank you for having me on today. And I feel the same. I feel like we've known each other forever, right? It's been awesome. So, Essentially, what I do is I support women to build a really, really strong relationship with themselves. Because at the end of the day, the only relationship that you're ever guaranteed to be in forevermore is the one with yourself. But often it's the one that gets put to the bottom of the pile, right? And we look for all our validation externally. We look for it from our partner, from other people. And we actually forget that we have that relationship with ourselves. So what I do is I help women to build that. So that comprises of self-confidence, self-trust, self-love, self-acceptance. And by doing that, what that then enables women to do is it empowers them to go out and build stronger relationships externally as well. So yeah, that's essentially what I do is self-relationship coaching, but I like to bring that into the space of romantic relationships too, because they're such a massive part of our lives. Do you know something you've just said there about our self-relationships? This is definitely something that us as women, and it is, it's almost the suppression part, isn't it? That we kind of come through our 
pre-teens into teens, adolescent. And then we're kind of, you know, those are the parts of life where we're really free and yet we're most vulnerable. And then we mm-hmm. come into this stage of life that I work in where we're in perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause, and we can absolutely at that point have lost who we are. We've mm-hmm. lost that connection. So I honestly am super intrigued to jump into this and look at it from that menopause spin as well. So just before we do get started, can I just ask, how did you get involved? How did you get into this and being a self-love and relationship coach? It always interests me how people start their own journeys. I first came across coaching itself probably around about three years ago. So I went through a series of challenges in my personal life. So I got divorced. I'd been in that relationship for 14 years. So my whole adult life, pretty much. There'd been infidelity in the marriage. We'd gone to marriage counsellors. There'd been a lot of things to deal with. And then the marriage ended. And within a fairly short space of time, I lost two close friends. They both passed away fairly suddenly and unexpectedly and the relationship I was in at the time also broke down and I was just at a bit of a rock bottom and I knew that something needed to change but I didn't know what that was because from the outside it looked like I was doing well I in my background is as a veterinary surgeon I've been in the profession for 15 years you know I had a good job I was successful I had lots of friends I had the big house I had the nice holidays everyone would be like oh my goodness but you're just coping so well clearly like you're just doing amazing because I always put forward this bubbly sociable sort of and I don't want to say it was a front but it was definitely a coping mechanism at the time and I got to a point where I realized that actually I was really struggling internally and I'd been doing, I'd been suppressing my whole life and not really dealing with things. So I took two steps. I worked with a therapist for six months, which was really, really helpful. But I was also part of a group coaching program. And what I realized through that group coaching program was that I'd never had a relationship with myself from the age of 17. I'd been in relationships with other people. So my first boyfriend I was with for two years and then I'd gone into my um, 14 year relationship. And I thought, wow, like I've never actually put myself first. I've never really discovered who I really am on a deeper level. I've never really trusted myself. I've always put a lot of things externally on other people. And I felt such a massive shift that I got to the end of it. And the only way I can describe it, it was like this fire in my belly where I was like, this is my purpose to support other women in the same way. And I, you know, I loved being a vet. I still do a little bit of clinical work, but does it light me up the way it does when I get on a coaching call with somebody and I help them do something? If I'm totally honest, no, it doesn't. Like, this is my calling to do what I'm doing. So I trained as a coach around my full-time vet job. And yeah, I've been coaching now for 18 months. I absolutely love it. And the reason that I coach within the space that I do is because that was the area of my life that I struggled in most. Um, And once I gained the awareness of my anxious attachment style and how much that had been affecting how I showed up, my patterns 
of dating. So after I got divorced, I went on a lot of dates. <laughs> um, I've got a lot of experience with using online apps. I've met a lot of people. I've had a lot of different experiences. But for several years, I was caught in quite a self-destructive pattern. And it was only when I learned about my attachment style that it started to make sense. And I was able to start making changes. So that's why I'm so passionate about coaching in this space is because it's my experience. And I know it's possible to move past that and empower yourself. Thank you for being vulnerable enough to share that with us as well. It it shows that you've done a lot of connective work, a lot of inner work and healing to be able to openly speak about that. And this is something, again, you know, I I myself have been through some counselling for relationships in the past between actually my mum and I. And that's where, you know, relationships, when we think of relationships, it's not just between partners, it's with your children, it's with your family, your friends, your extended network, your colleagues, your clients, you know, even to that point. So super powerful when we look at that umbrella of relationships. And that was one thing I personally learned through some guided counseling and support is that numbing is a tool and a mechanism that human beings will use when we feel vulnerable or at risk. And it's not, it's not wrong. It's not wrong to numb our feelings and to put on that front that you, you know, you so rightly called it, but there comes a time that we have to face. There comes a time that we have to allow it to come through and heal. So I'm really intrigued. You mentioned the words there, anxious attachment style, and that you know that that's where you sit. Can we jump into that a little bit? Can you explain what is an attachment style and how do you know that you're an anxious attachment style? What do we mean by attachment style? Because you might be listening to this and being like, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) And to be honest, like four or five years ago, I had no idea either. I had no awareness, but basically your attachment style is formed in your nervous system um, as a baby. And it's designed to maintain safety and connection with your primary caregiver or parent because when we're babies we're totally dependent on that other person meeting all of our needs so our attachment style is established in childhood but it can be affected by things like our adult experiences and basically what it means is it's how you perceive and respond to intimacy as an adult in romantic relationships so how comfortable or uncomfortable you are with developing a really close and intimate bond with your partner. And it also determines your ability to communicate your wishes and needs with a partner. And essentially what it means, and and I think it's really interesting when you think of it this way, is we don't choose our attachment style. It's not a cognitive thing that we choose. It is developed, it's formed in our nervous system. And what this means is it means that essentially we're pre-programmed to act in a predetermined manner in our romantic relationships until we get to the point where we raise our awareness and we maybe start to question some of the things we're doing. So why is it that I always seem to end up dating men who ghost me or who are emotionally unavailable? Why is it when I meet somebody who is really interested in me and they're keen and they're showing me lots of attention that I'm like, oh, that's boring. Oh, consistency, I don't like that. 
And this is when it's time to start thinking about, are there any patterns? Is there anything that I always end up talking to my friends about? I'm like, oh, you know, with your partner, like we're having this issue and we're going around in circles or you're dating and it tends to be the same type of people that you're attracting in. This is when it's time to get curious because there's a really good chance that your attachment style is playing a part in some of the patterns that you're experiencing in your love life and in other relationships as well, because your attachment style can come out with your friendships, with your family relationships, but it tends to be more obvious in your romantic relationships. And the reason that it's important to have this awareness and understanding is because your attachment style is not fixed. And I like to think of it a bit like a sliding spectrum. So there's four attachment styles. The first is securely attached, and that sits in the middle of the spectrum. That's around about 50% of the population. And if you're securely attached, you're comfortable with being close and intimate with your partner. You're able to communicate your wants and needs clearly. You're going to be able to more easily meet your partner's emotional wants and needs as well. And if you're securely attached, you're probably someone that doesn't tend to have a lot of turbulence in their love life. You tend to be more likely to be in sort of a stable relationship. It doesn't mean that there's not challenges. It doesn't mean that you don't experience heartbreak or um, relationships failing, but you wouldn't describe your love life as a car crash, which is how a lot of people with an insecure attachment style would describe their love life. So that's securely attached. On the other end of the spectrum, we have anxiously attached. And this is round about 20% of the population. And this is my attachment style, well, my default attachment style, I would call it now. And if you're anxiously attached, what that means is you have an underlying fear of abandonment. So you worry about how your partner feels about you. You worry about whether the relationship's going to work out. You worry about whether you've said the right thing. Do they still like me? Are they still interested? And how that manifests is you tend to experience a lot more anxiety in dating and in relationships compared to somebody who's securely attached. Now, again, this isn't black and white, right? If you're securely attached, you're still going to experience anxiety at points. But if you're anxiously attached, that is going to be a common theme or thread through your dating life and through your relationships. And then at the other end of the spectrum, we have um, what's called dismissive avoidant, which is around about 25% of the population. And if you're dismissive avoidant, you feel uncomfortable with real intimacy. So what tends to happen is you're comfortable with somebody getting to maybe here, but then they start to come really close. And you can't always articulate it because a lot of the time people don't have the awareness, but it's the pullback that I need space this is too much. Maybe they're not the right person. I feel really uncomfortable. I need to get away. And if you have an avoidant attachment style, you're probably not so great at communicating that to the other person. When you're anxiously attached, you're not so great at communicating your wants and needs because you're scared that your partner is going to leave you. And if you're avoidantly attached, you have more difficulty communicating your wants and needs because you can't always explain what the feeling is that's coming up. It just feels really uncomfortable and you feel like you need to get away. And then there is a fourth attachment style, 
which is termed um, fearful avoidant or disorganized attachment style can be the other term that's used. And if you're fearful avoidant, it's a little bit like a mix of anxious and avoidant. And this tends to be um, those who have experienced trauma in their childhood. So it might be in the form of a parent who is an alcoholic, drug addiction, um, physical or emotional abuse. Perhaps you're in a situation where you were moved around a lot as a child. There was a lot of uncertainty. And what happens with fearful avoidant attachment style is you have a real desire to be close to somebody. You really crave that intimacy, but it feels really, really scary as well. So you tend to get close and pull back and close and pull back. And it feels really, really disorganized. Like you don't know if you're coming or going. And if you're listening, you might be like, oh, I can definitely identify my attachment style. I know what that is. But we can be a mixture of it as well. Like you can be anxiously attached and display avoidant behaviours at times. You can be avoidant and feel anxious at times. But we all have a predominant attachment style that was formed in childhood. And again, this is an awareness. I always say this. This isn't a box, a label, a pathology. This isn't sticking a sticker on your head saying, I'm anxiously attached. This is my identity. It's about having an awareness because when you can start to understand why you feel and behave the way that you do in your relationships, then you can start to go, okay, is this what I would choose? Or do I want to start looking into this a little bit more so I can make some different decisions moving forwards? You can experience all of them. Again, it's a sliding spectrum. That's why we say your attachment style is not fixed because if you are have an insecure attachment style, so if you're avoidant or anxious or fearful avoidant, you can do the work to move towards more secure attachment. It's not fixed. You're not stuck in a box. It's a sliding spectrum. And again, it depends on your partner's attachment style. I'm going to share this because this is something that always, um, when I speak to women, it blows their minds. If you're anxiously attached, you have a subconscious belief that everybody leaves me. That is a belief that you hold. What that means is on a subconscious level, you are more attracted to those who have an avoidant attachment style, which may not make sense on the surface because you're like, well, if I crave intimacy and closeness, why am I attracted to someone that finds that really uncomfortable and is going to pull back? The reason for that is when you are subconsciously attracted to somebody who's avoidant, they prove that belief right. So if you're holding a belief of everybody leaves me, your subconscious is always looking for the evidence to prove that belief system right. And if you meet someone who's avoidant, who's going to start to pull back when you get close, it reinforces that underlying belief. And that's why it's really important to do some of the deeper work to uncover the underlying beliefs so you can start to reprogram those. But what tends to happen is those who are anxiously attached are more attracted to those with an avoidant attachment style and vice versa. Because if you're avoidantly attached, the underlying belief is, and it must be scary. It's, oh, it's too much. So what happens on a subconscious level, you attract somebody in who reinforces that underlying belief. Because if you're anxiously attached, you tend to be more, you crave that intimacy and closeness. You want your partner to be there. You just, you just want them there. And the avoidant person's like, oh, she's too much. I don't like it. I don't like it. I need to pull back. 
But again, if there's not the awareness of what's going on, it just ends up in a pattern that continues and continues and continues. So this is why it's so important to understand what your attachment style is and how that might be showing up for you. So honestly, it's blown my mind just (laughs) sitting here listening to this. And obviously we've been through some of this already at an entrepreneurial retreat that we were on together. What I would love to understand though, so we've got these four attachment styles. How do we find out which one we are? It might be something where you listen to this and you resonate. So you might be like, I am definitely anxiously attached or I'm definitely avoidant or I definitely feel insecure or fearful avoidant resonate. And so some people will just resonate with what's been said. But if you're like, oh, I'm not really sure, there um, are resources you can use. So I have an attachment style quiz. We can drop the link to that um, in the show notes. With attachment style quizzes, there isn't one that's going to identify whether you are fearful avoidant. Okay, so all the quizzes that are out there will come up with either secure, anxious or avoidant. If you do the quiz and you get the result back and you're like, that doesn't quite resonate with me or it's not quite sitting. What I would always advise doing is you can speak to myself, speaking to a coach speaking to a therapist, doing some further reading. Usually with people, once you have a chat about what their background has been kind of growing up and what their patterns are in relationships, you know, we're able to identify what's going on. But there's lots of resources now. And I think that attachment style is starting to, I don't want to say that it's a buzzword, but it's definitely something where people have a lot more heightened awareness around it and they want to find out more. And there's a really great book. I'm looking at it's on my bookshelf. It's called Attached. And that's a really, really great place to start. If you're like, I'm just curious. I want to dip a toe in. I want to find out a little bit more. Um, there's a quiz at the start of that book as well. And yeah, you can just read a little bit more about it. And I think with anything, you know, this is where I'm like, well, I want to know. I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> Within all of this space, then once we find out where we sit and we maybe resonate with that, what would be the the next steps for this? How do we actually become more aware? How do we start to be a little bit more in tune with ourselves and, and, you know, these attachment styles? What does it mean? Once you've sort of self-identified what your attachment style is, I think the first thing to do is get curious. And this is about curiosity and not criticism. Because I have so many women that come to me and say, I want you to fix my anxious attachment style. There's something wrong with me. I diagnose myself with this. And I really want to make it clear that this is simply an awareness. And this is about getting curious about what could be going on here? Like, what are the patterns that I'm noticing? So if, for example, your partner, you've sent your partner a WhatsApp message, right? And they read it and they don't reply. And it's an hour down the line and they've still not replied, but they've been online on Facebook and you're like, okay, I'm sure they're just busy. I'm sure they're just busy. And then the thoughts start to creep in. "Mm, I was a bit off yesterday. There's maybe something going on. I did see that he had some new Instagram followers. I wonder if he's speaking to somebody else. And the story continues, right? And before we know what we're 10 minutes in and we've created a whole story around my partner's going to leave me. And it's getting curious about when you get activated, what's kind of coming up for you. So what are the situations where you tend to feel a really strong emotion? Because that's usually a good clue that you're being activated or you're being triggered and going, okay, let's get curious about this. In this moment, 
what am I believing about myself? What am I believing about the other person or the situation? Is there any firm evidence for it? Is it true? Because a lot of the time it's a story that we've created based on the feeling that's coming up. I think a really important part of working with attachment styles is actually providing regulating resources. Because remember, as I said in the beginning, our attachment style is formed in our nervous system. It's not a cognitive, rational, logical thinking process. It's something that's within our nervous system. So that's when we bring in things like breathing techniques or tapping or using other resources to help bring your nervous system back to a calm and grounded state. So then you can start getting curious about what's going on. So we talked a little bit at the start around this. So this is where that kind of self-love part of it all comes in as well as appreciating that this is not a judgment call, right? This is just purely another tool in your toolbox to be aware of, to be kind of alert to. And and to maybe if you are in that fearful avoidant space, which is 5% of the population, or you're an avoidant, you maybe feel anxious. Yeah. And maybe we go through different parts of this, depending on where we are in life as well. This is where it comes back to me to think, well, when we enter into our perimenopause stage of life, this is when anxiety levels can actually go through the roof. And we've maybe never experienced anxiety. We've never maybe experienced having, you know, heart palpitations before. And because our hormones are dropping, we're starting to have these impacts. That alone can start to cause a lot of friction between relationships not just between partners, but also between the children in the household and any close relationship. So I think it's really quite intriguing to look at what these intimacy levels are. It's been aware of it, right? And I'd never, ever thought about this before. And now it's all I think about. And one of the things, if and I don't want to jump you forward, so tell me if there's a part you're going to come to with this, but one of the things that really got me super intrigued was when we talked a lot about love languages. Yeah. I don't know if this is a good time to segue into that. Yeah, let's do that. Because again, love languages is a brilliant awareness to have. So I think this is the perfect time to, to jump into that. So it may be that you've heard of love languages. Maybe you've not. Um, there is an amazing book by Gary Chapman, which is where love languages come from. And basically you're primary love language is the way that you prefer to receive love and there's five love languages there's words of affirmation so that would be someone telling you how much you mean to them it might be that they send you a text message it might be that they write you a letter and but you enjoy having hearing that verbally or having that written down just that um yeah that affirmation that that person cares about you and that they see you and they understand you and yeah if your primary love language is words of affirmation you know you'll enjoy your partner telling you that they love you and that you're amazing and you're the only woman I ever want to be with (laughs) and what you know however that sounds for you and the second love language is physical touch so I think that's fairly self-explanatory so hugs kisses sexual intimacy acts of service so that can look things like your partner making you a cup of tea or running you a bath or um like I don't know doing the vacuuming loading the dishwasher just something that is making your life just a little bit easier 
And then quality time. Again, I think this is fairly self-explanatory, but spending time with your partner where you're one-on-one, where there's not any distractions, where you're really focused on each other. And then the last love language is gifts. So receiving gifts, you might be somebody that you love it when your partner brings you home a bunch of flowers or they've seen like just something little in the shops and they bring it home and they're like, oh, I saw this and I thought of you, babe. And you're like, oh my goodness. And again, this is a bit like the attachment styles. We don't put ourselves in a box and say, well, the only way that I like to receive love is this way and I don't like the other ways. All of us enjoy all of these love languages to a degree, but there will be a primary one where you're like, this is when I feel most loved. So having a think about when you're dating someone or when you're with your partner, when do you feel most loved? Is it when they tell you that they love you? Is it when you're having a cuddle? Is it when they've made you a cup of tea? Is it when you've arranged a date and you're going out, you're spending time one-on-one? Is it when they bring you home with a bunch of flowers? Just starting to think about it like that, getting curious. And there is a love language quiz. I've popped the link on there. So this is Gary Chapman's website. So it'll take you to there and you can do a love languages quiz if you're not sure. But the reason that it is important to have an awareness of your love language is The way that you prefer to receive love is not necessarily in the way that your partner prefers to receive love. So if, for example, and I'm actually going to use my own example because my partner and I have different love languages. So my primary love language is physical touch. So I am the kind of person I love to be cuddled. I cuddle everybody like and like with friends, with my partner, probably not so much with my family, but that's more to do with upbringing things. But I really enjoy physical touch. So I like to be cuddled and I like to be like right close to somebody. And my partner's primary love language is words of affirmation. But actually physical touch is further down the list of how he prefers to receive love. And when we first started dating, it actually caused quite a lot of friction between us. Because I would go around and I would want to be like cuddled right up on the couch, like spoon me, cuddle me, play with my hair, tell me I'm beautiful. And he just didn't find that comfortable because that's not how he prefers to receive love. And at first I was like, why don't you want to cuddle me? Like, why don't you want to be really, really close to me all the time? And he's like, I do enjoy cuddles, Claire, but just not all the time. It makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable like I need a little bit of space at times and (laughs) this is why and then he's like but you know my love language is words of affirmation so he loves it we text a lot he enjoys that he likes to have that sort of communication and words of affirmation is my second love language so I enjoy that too Mm -hmm. but I guess the reason I make this point is without that awareness it would have been really really easy in those early dating stages perhaps for things not to have worked out because I would have been like oh he doesn't really like me because he doesn't want to be close to me all the time and he doesn't enjoy cuddling me every single minute that we're together like maybe there's something wrong with me it would be really easy to go down that path and for him to be like well she's why is she like this she doesn't respect my space why she got to be all over me all the time it's too Mm -hmm. much because we've got the awareness and we know what our primary love language is and we were able to have that conversation it's meant that we can meet in the middle and we compromise So now when I go around, I don't expect that I'm going to be clinging on to him like a limpet for (laughs) three or four hours. 
but he's also able to meet me in the middle as well and give me more physical affection than he has with previous partners because mm. we've had the conversation of what's important to us both. Which I suppose in a moment makes us really beautifully into this co- the communication part of it as well, right? Because and this is something I, I speak openly about with my ladies and with a lot of you right now watching this or listening to this is that when we don't communicate effectively, we don't communicate at all. You know, it's, it's this kind of breakdown, isn't it? And that connection. And we've had a bit of a laugh about this in the past when I first realized what love languages were and found out what my love language was. Claire is very much the same as my husband, Sean. <laughs> and we laughed about this, didn't we? Because we did. I said, oh my goodness, like I just can't handle how much attention he needs in a physical form. Um, and, you know, we're not we're not saying it's always sexual, physical. It's it's about he just wants his foot on me or he wants to be able to, you know, when he walks past me, he always has to touch a part of me so that it's kind of that connection. Whereas physical touch is actually very much bottom along with gifts for me. It's more around quality time, acts of service. So the cup of tea. And we have a laugh about it now because if he puts a cup of tea in the office, if I've been, you know, back to back with uh, client calls or admin work, the cup of tea comes in, he'll knock the door and say, I'm just speaking your love language and he'll pop it down. And we have a bit of a laugh with it because again, what I learned, I communicated to him. He agreed that physical touch for him is number one. And actually, you know, we could go for hours and hours and hours without communicating together all day when he comes home, I know I need to cuddle him because that's what he needs from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, you know, we, we kind of have a laugh about it because I'll say to him, you can get four cuddles a day and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a cuddle quota. <laughs> four cuddles, use them wisely. <laughs> it drains my energy when I give too much physical attention to people. And I've learned that through doing my own inner work over the, the the years that I've been doing it. So yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. It literally does blow my mind that this is all part of that self-care, that self-connection. So if it feels good for you, can you maybe take us on a journey around, we've maybe learned what our attachment style is and we appreciate where we sit within that space. We've maybe now learned through doing this quiz and we'll pop the link to this into the show notes as well. So it's www five as in the number five lovelanguages.com so we found out our love languages we know kind of what sits rank order for us what's next the next thing is communication and communication really is the foundation for any relationship right whether it's a relationship with yourself whether it's a relationship with somebody else but It's something that I see time and time again in romantic relationships is women coming to me and just saying, look, I'm just stuck in this like pattern with my partner. We just argue about the same thing over and over again, or I don't feel like I'm being heard and understood. And then it ends up in an argument and I don't know how to stop this. So it's really important to understand that men and women do communicate differently. There are differences between us. And I think it's really important to appreciate that. Because otherwise we just expect that our partner is going to show up in the same way that maybe our female best friend would. And again, I don't want to make it too gendered, but but there are differences and it is important to have that awareness. So I've used the terms sort of masculine and feminine for the masculine and feminine energy. So 
The masculine energy wants to feel valued and appreciated, whereas the feminine energy wants to feel seen and heard. And the masculine wants to fix problems, problem solvers, but the feminine often just wants to be seen, heard and validated. And this in itself can be a huge source of tension for couples. So I'm going to give a really, really common example. So you have come home from work and you have had a really, really stressful day. You start talking to your partner and you're like, oh, like today has just been so awful. I had to have this conversation. It was really difficult. I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how this is going to work out. I feel really stressed. I've got so much to do after this. And you've you've got the list of all, you're just wanting to vent, basically. You're wanting to just express and get everything off your chest. What tends to happen if your um, partner is male is he will jump in and he, because he, he goes into problem solving mode. He's like, She's got a problem and I need to fix it. So they tend to jump in. They tend to be like, well, why don't you do this? Well, why don't you speak to that person? Well, have you thought about doing that? And the problem with that is, as women, we don't feel seen, heard or understood because we just want the space to be held for us, for us to express what's coming up for us. But men will tend to jump straight into problem solving mode, straight into fixing mode, because that's what they think that we want. So what can be really useful is having a conversation with your partner around this and, you know, just saying, look, when I come home from work or when I want to have a conversation, I'll let you know at the beginning whether I just want you to listen Mm -hmm. or whether I want you to offer solutions. Because the problem is, if you don't, the default will be for the man to go into fixing problems, whereas the woman just wants to talk about how she's feeling she just wants some you know just want your partner to say oh darling that that must have been really really challenging but you're doing amazing like let me give you a cuddle or in your case Adele let me make you a cup of tea like I see you I hear you like as women that's what we want we want to be seen and heard and understood Mm. whereas men want to feel valued and appreciated and they do that by offering us solutions they want to be our hero right they want to fix our problems but if there's not the awareness there, it can just end up with us feeling like he just doesn't listen to me. He doesn't understand. I can't get a word in edgeways. Whereas he thinks that he's doing a good job. He's like, well, I'm offering all these solutions. I'm, I'm showing you how you can fix the problem. So again, it's just that little nugget that can be really helpful for moving forward. And just that like being able to express to your partner, do I just want you to listen or do I want you to offer solutions? It goes both ways, right? Sometimes our our partner is going to want to speak to us about something and he's just going to want us to listen. So being able to, I guess, just clarify that at the beginning of a conversation. If you feel like you have something to unload and you don't want a, you don't want your partners trying to fix it, you just want to vent a little bit. Is that okay? Yeah, that's amazing actually, because it's so true. I'm listening to this going, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I just want to be like, oh my God, you're home. Guess what? Blah, 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 blah. You know, things that have come out and yeah, you don't, you don't want, I I think this maybe comes from, again, our own inner personality type well. And you talked at the start about how this is all kind of earthed and born and energized through our nervous system. And that is something that we we grow with right we have this kind of innate design through our dna through our genetics but also within the kind of first 
one to two years of life, we're learning. We're learning how we should speak. And it's not just as in being able to speak, but it's about things like, for example, here's a really good, this is kind of coming into the psychology side of it all. But when we think about things that we say, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. Yeah. And it's like that verbal communication, but the resonation within ourselves of thinking, I'm so stupid. I'm not capable, really not worthy. Now we might just come out with that one flippant remark, but actually what that does within the psychology and the makeup of the brain is tells us, yeah, you're not good enough. Yeah, you've made an error there. Oh my God, how could you have failed at that? Whereas if we refrain from that and we say, oh, do you know what? And this, this is a phrase that I use a lot in our household. And I made a massive big faux pas this morning um, with business stuff that I just went, do you know what? It's fixable. Everything is fixable. All right. As long as nobody has died as a result of what you have done, everything is fixable. And it's something that I've noticed that my daughters are now bringing into their life. Yeah. They'll have a kind of, we refer to it as you can have a 15 minute pity party. (laughs) Not as, you know, strong words if they're needed. But after that, you need to understand that it's always fixable. Mm -hmm. So we can, we can innately start to tell ourselves things, right? Things. I'm an idiot. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. For you, it's more so in knowing your attachment and your love language style, that if your message is not read quickly, you revert back into that that past trauma. It's that regression, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Of, oh my God, this is happening again. I can't believe I'm going down this same road. It's just as powerful. I just find all of this fascinating with how the brain works and knowing that we can actually change our health for the better or the worse by one thought. Mm-hmm. We can tell ourselves that something is okay. We can get through this. It's fine. Nothing big. Or we can tell ourselves, oh my God, I'm so stupid. How could I have made that big mistake? Everything's going to fall apart. Oh my God, I can't do this anymore. So it's all in a thought, isn't it? It's so, so powerful. And I just want to bring this piece in around rejection, just because I think that the listeners might find this really, really powerful. So this just shows the power of like a thought and what we attach meaning to. So if you're in a situation and I don't know, you, you get ghosted, you're dating and you get ghosted, you have a choice in that situation. You can either choose to make that situation mean something about yourself So there's something wrong with me. Everybody leaves me. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't make enough money. You can choose to make it mean something about you or you can choose to make it mean nothing about you. You can be like, this choice that this other person has made has nothing to do with me and everything to do with them. And it's a choice. And I think that's, again, where communication and language and the thoughts that we're having, the way that we're speaking to ourselves is so, so powerful because the energy behind that is different. If somebody disappears and you make it about me, there's something wrong with me. Everybody leaves me. I'm just not good enough. Feel how different that is to this. I'm choosing that this has nothing to do with me at all and everything to do with what's going on for the other person and their own stuff that's coming up for them. 
and it is it's a choice yeah 100 percent. I love that so powerful though right mm-hmm. our brain is legitimately this machine that we just will never fully appreciate and understand mm-hmm. how within that split second we can make the decisions around things with thoughts and feelings and all of that releases chemicals in the body you know when we think about the touch so that physical touch for Sean that releases a lot of oxytocin for him which is our love hormone yeah for me when he runs a bubble bath and makes me a cup of tea that releases my oxytocin because mm-hmm. it's my love language that's when I'm like gosh oh, like this is great so it's yeah there's there's power in this knowledge isn't there around how you tick and it's appreciating that there's nothing wrong with you if a certain love language does not resonate communication wise then this is probably one that as the listeners are either watching this or listening to this, that they may think, do you know what? Maybe I haven't communicated. And it's it's all in that reflection, isn't it? Around how are we communicating how we feel? Are we being quite clear that sometimes it's a, and how this would maybe look in reality is Sean comes through the door and I say, I need to offload, but I, I just need you to listen. This is what happened today. And then being okay with the fact that they don't come back to you with those solutions. I think the other thing, and this is going to sort of tie the communication in with the attachment styles, is I think it's important to have the awareness. If you're not securely attached, communicating in a really open and upfront way is not going to come naturally to you because there's underlying fear that's associated with actually speaking your truth. So I just want to reassure you that if you're in a position where you're like, well, this all sounds very well and good, like communicate my wants and needs, that I could never do that because it feels scary, that again, there's nothing wrong with you. Your nervous system is simply trying to keep you safe. And this is where um, learning and and using regulating resources is really, really helpful because if you can learn to self-regulate your nervous system and bring your nervous system to a place of safety, what that's going to do is enable you to take the steps and to have the, the open conversations and to be able to ask for what you want and need. And I was having a conversation with a client yesterday and she's like, well, I could just never say to the guy that I'm dating what I want and need because I'm scared that he'll just leave me. Like I'm scared that he's not going to want to be with me anymore. So what we spoke about was using a regulating resource, but then asking for what you want in a low risk situation. So it might be that when you go out for dinner, And the waitress comes over and she says, oh, do you want some extra sauce? And you really want some, but it's busy and you don't want to put it. You're like, oh, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. But you did, you wanted the mayonnaise, but you didn't want to ask for it because you didn't want to put her out. Practicing in those kind of situations, being able, and it might sound daft, but just speaking your truth and asking for what you want. Because again, it builds evidence for your mind that it's okay to do that. Like it's not super unsafe to ask for what you want. And there will always be times when when we ask for what we want and we don't get what we want. But the important thing is that we've spoken our truth to begin with, that we've given ourselves the opportunity at least for those emotional wants and needs to be met. I think I'd probably just want to close on, like, you are your longest commitment. It's so easy to focus on everything external from yourself, to make everything else more important than you. And it's natural Like you make your business more important, you make your family more important, you make your partner more important, your friends, your dog, whatever it is, you make everything else more important than you. But at the end of the day, you're your longest commitment. And that is why it's so incredibly rewarding when you can start to do 
this inner work on your self-relationship, when you can start to shift and change your attachment style from insecure towards secure attachment, when you can start to have this awareness around love languages and communication and use that to improve your relationships, like that's a really, really beautiful thing to have that awareness and to be able to put it into practice. So I would just always say like, love yourself first. It sounds cheesy, but it it really is true. And when you fill your cup up first, it, it then allows you to show up for other people from a place that isn't coming from resentment. If I'm doing this because I have to, you start doing things because you want to. Love, love and love. Thank you so much for being with us today, Claire. Where can people find you if they want to come and just soak up all this energy from you? So you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Claire underscore Grigson underscore coaching. I'm also on TikTok under that same username. I have a Facebook page as well, which is Claire Grigson Life Coach. And if you want to drop me an email, if there's anything that's come up and you have to want to have more of a chat, it's Claire at ClaireGrigson.com. I truly hope this episode has sparked something vibrant inside of you. I ask only one thing. To help keep these episodes coming, please subscribe and share with another in your life. That's how we reach more women worldwide and we help them step into their power. Because together, we are working to remove any of the stigma and taboo that surrounds menopause. This does not need to be a daunting, a scary, a taboo time in anyone's life. So together, let's make menopause mainstream.